Amen. You may be seated. Last week I came to you with a message that if we were to go to God in prayer, we could be sure that He would meet us there. I believe that. Today I want to give you reasons why I am confident that God will do what His Word said He would do. Has anybody caught on to the idea that Christmas is this month? You're starting to get that, you know. You're hearing a song or two. You're seeing decorations, and uh, they're beautiful. I was in Branson Thanksgiving week, and we went to Silver Dollar City, and there were six and a half million lights, they said. I didn't count them. I didn't see all of them, but I did see a lot of them. It, uh, and everything there uh, they were doing had Christmas in it. And so today, it would be kind of uh, ignorant of me if I didn't step out on that platform to deliver the Word of God. Since you're there, and since we're thinking in that vein, I want to ask you the question, why should I believe in Jesus Christ? The Christ. Why should I believe in Him? Rock musician Billy Joel of a time said this, I wasn't raised Catholic, but I used to go to mass with my friends, and I viewed the whole business as a lot of enthralling hocus-pocus. There's a guy nailed to a cross, dripping blood, and everyone's blaming themselves for that man's torment. But I said to myself, forget it. I had no hand in that evil. I have no original sin. There's no blood on my sacred martyr, on any sacred martyr on my hands. I'll pass on all of this. Why would he say that? What was it about the message of Jesus that bothered him so much that he would make that statement? Well, it's, it's impossible that once you have come into contact with Jesus in any form to just walk away without it impacting your life. A decision has to be made. Somewhere along the way, something has to be done. You have to handle Jesus somewhere in your life. I don't know what level it is or was that a person came into contact with God, at what level of ignorance or education it was, but sooner or later you have to make a decision about Him. I believe that he, uh, he misunderstood who Jesus was. Perhaps it was that he thought that Jesus was just a great moral teacher or a man that just died at some point in history because of what he taught the world. Actually, that's the reason 
many people reject Jesus. They think that Jesus is just another religious leader who meant well, whose teachings were all there was about him, and, well, they missed the point. An atheist said, why should I believe that Jesus had any advantage over the founders of other religions? Well, there's a lot of reasons. <laughs> there's a lot of reasons that I could give to prove that Jesus was superior to the founder of other religions. But perhaps one of the most significant is the fact that Jesus had been predicted. Or shall I use the word biblically, it was prophesied that Jesus would come. Brian talked about various translations of the Bible. There are some translations, and then there are some that are just paraphrases. Got to be careful there. You got to get something that is a translation. Then you got to be sure who translated, <laughs> that they got it right. So they, uh, some of them would say that he was predicted. <laughs> and some of them would say he's prophesied. I uh, was able to hear one of the kids' videos, grandkids' videos this week, and uh, it was Barbie. You could just know that I was sat there enthralled. But it got my attention because they were using the word, it was prophesied. It was prophesied. And I'm thinking, okay, what was prophesied? Why are we using that language on kids? Are we trying to mimic the Scripture? What's the message that they're sending? And maybe the kid will come away with the idea that, well, the Bible's kind of just like my Barbie movie. None of it's true. About 500 years before Jesus was born, a man came along that we know as Buddha. Buddha came up with some good ideas, he thought. He drew a crowd around him, followers. When he died, those followers created a religion called Buddhism. So, Buddha has a following today. The difference between Buddha and Jesus was nobody knew Buddha was coming. Another unique difference between Jesus and Buddha is Buddha's dead. He's still there wherever they put him. In whatever form it was of his final demise, but Jesus is alive. Amen. About 500 years after Jesus Christ came, another man came along. His name was Mohammed. Mohammed came up with what he thought was a good idea, and he drew followings after his teachings. And then, of course, he died, and those that were following him developed the religion of Islam, which is prominent in our world today. But as far as Mohammed, nobody knew he was coming. 
It was never predicted or prophesied that Muhammad would come. And contrary to Jesus, Muhammad is still wherever they laid him when he died. He's dead. And Jesus is alive. But Jesus Christ, the one that we serve and love and worship, is a promise keeper. There were promises or predictions or prophecies concerning his birth, his life, his death, his ministry. Matter of fact, everything about Jesus Christ was predicted, prophesied before he came in the world. Some 300 predictions, prophecies concerning Jesus and his life. Well, God keeps his promise. I said I came here today to tell you why I believe what I preached last week, that when we pray, we can meet him there. Simply this, whatever God said in this book called the Holy Bible, whatever he said in his word, it is true. He keeps his promises. Some 20 writers under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit over a period of some 1,500 years, wrote concerning this man we call Jesus the Christ. All of this happened some 450 years before Jesus was ever born. Prophecies, predictions about his coming into the world. Some 300 prophecies. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one who has fulfilled these prophecies. Now, it's said, somebody did the math on this, the chances of one person fulfilling only eight of these prophecies is one in 100 quadrillion. Now, that's that's pretty slim odds. But when you take it to that one person being able to fulfill 48 of those prophecies, once again they did the math, and they said there is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. I'm not a mathematician, but if you got your spare time and your calculator, you it's a whole lot easier with your iPhone now, you just put it in, figure it out. It's almost absolutely impossible for that to happen. But yet it happened. I'm going to show you. I'm not going to do all 300, okay? We're going to get out of here today. But I do have a few of them. I want to show you today what the scripture said about him, I would ask that you would pay attention as we move as quickly as possible. When we look at Jesus' predictions or his prophecies concerning his coming, the scripture talks about his family tree. It said, first of all, that he would be a descendant of Abraham. 
you'll find that prophecy in Genesis 18 and 8. 18. It says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. That was fulfilled when you read in Acts chapter 3 and verse 25. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our father, saying unto Abraham, In thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. The descendants, he was to become from the tribe of Judah. Prophecy is Genesis 49 and 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver between his feet, until Shiloh come. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That was fulfilled according to Luke chapter 3, verses 33, which was the son of Amenadab, which was the son of Aram, which was the son of Ishram, which was the son of Phares, which was the son of Judah. You'll find that in the genealogy concerning Jesus Christ as they were prophesying and saying, this is who came into the world and his name is Jesus. The Messiah's birth and his childhood, he was born in Bethlehem. That was prophesied in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Was it fulfilled? Take a look in Matthew chapter 2. And verse number 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east. So it was prophesied, he'll be born in Bethlehem. And where was he born? It took the edict of a king, an ungodly king, that called for a census, that called for people to go back to the home of their nativity. And so a very expecting Mary was on a beast and was carried back to Bethlehem, to an inn where there was no room. So in a stable, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. The Scripture said that the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7 and 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That was fulfilled in Matthew 1 and 18 as we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary espoused to Joseph, or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, they had no sexual relationship, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So the virgin gave birth to a child. It was prophesied by the Old Testament prophets in Jeremiah 31 and 15 that there would be weeping and there would be lamentation and there would be weeping because of the children of Israel would be weeping because of their children. When did this get fulfilled? The scripture tells us 
that Herod in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16, when he saw that he was mocked by the wise men. You remember that the wise men came because they saw his star in the east and they came to worship him. And so they're coming to worship him. They were seeking him. They went to the king and asked for, where was this king born? Herod took that as a threat to his office. And so he said, you come back and you tell me when you found him. I want to go worship him. Well, God said, that's not what he wants to do. He wants to destroy him. And so in protection, God directed them away from Herod. But Herod, in his vengefulness and his desire to assure that his throne would be secure, began to kill all the children two years and younger. So what was Mary and Joseph to do? Well, prophecy said at that time they would flee and they would go to another country. Hosea 11 and 1 was that prophecy. Israel was a child. Then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. When was that fulfilled? Well, in Matthew 2 and 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed in to Egypt. So Jesus was to come out of Egypt. How was he to get there? He was to get there because Herod was going to kill him, but God warned Joseph in the night, and he took Jesus to Egypt. So we find Jesus coming out of Egypt. Concerning the ministry of the Messiah, the Scripture said that he would be rejected by the Jewish people. Isaiah 53 what a messianic chapter that is. 53 and 3, he is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, was hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. What did John write about him in 1 and 11 when that scripture was told us that it was fulfilled? He came to his own and his own received him not. And how many other places can we find in the New Testament where his very own people rejected him? They rejected his authority. They rejected his teaching. They rejected the fact that he came to save them. He even wept later and said, Oh, Jerusalem, if you had only known the time of your visitation. I'm here today because God keeps his promises. He said in his word that he would do something. And then later we find, sure enough, he did it. Well, we live in a world today of broken promises. We stand at the altar and we commit one to another, but somewhere along the way, we find it convenient to not keep that promise. We find people that say, if you'll elect me, to this office. This is what I'll do when I get in office. And how rarely do we see them keep that promise. Now we know a lot of that comes because when they get in office, they realize that it's not necessarily just what they say that makes it go. <laughs> There's usually a whole lot more that says, no, it's not going to go. <laughs> and so therefore they appear to have broken promises. Well, the Scripture said concerning Christ that he would come 
with wisdom and understanding. How did it, where did it say that? In Isaiah 11 and 2 said, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of fear of the Lord. The scripture said that Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, in favor with God and man. Oh, the wisdom of God. I love to come to him. You say, well, how do you, how do you find his wisdom? Well, there it is. Brian talked about it this morning. It's that word of God. That word of God. I, I, I get times where I get impressions from the Spirit of God. You know what I'm talking about? Where God speaks in your spirit. But you know what? It's always in agreement with His word. That impression, that feeling, that, that knowledge that you feel like you're getting from God. It's always in alignment with His word. The wisdom the character, the beauty of God. In the last days before the Messiah's death, there are scripture prophecies about him. One of them said that he would come in triumphantly riding on a donkey. It seems like an immaterial thing to be put in the Word of God hundreds of years before it ever happened. Why would God do that? So that you and I would be able to have faith in Him that He keeps His promises. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. In John 12 and 12 through 14, that scripture is fulfilled. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written in the word of God. It was, it was so clear. It was so plain. The Jewish people should have known. They should have recognized it. That day, all of Jerusalem should have turned out. That day, everybody should have run to the streets. Everybody should have embraced the kingship of Jesus Christ. But what did they say? Tell these people to be quiet. Tell them to quit saying those words of worship and praise to you. And Jesus said, if these be quiet, the stones, the rocks will cry out. They should have recognized then. But oh, I'm so thankful today that in my heritage and, and God's love for me, he brought me into a knowledge of seeing that he is a promise keeper. A promise keeper. Scripture said that he'd be, be betrayed by a close friend. You find that in Psalms 49, 41 and 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. And it's fulfilled when it says, And Judas, his carrot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him to them. He would lead them to Jesus. 
in the garden. He would plant a kiss on his cheek, a kiss of betrayal. How did it all come about? Well, Scripture says that there was a price. Judas was greedy. When you think about the fact that he would sell his Savior for a mere price of a slave, the Scripture said that he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Zechariah 11 and 12, you'll find it there. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, he went to the chief priest and he said, What will you give me? And I will deliver him to you. And they made an agreement with him for 30 pieces of silver. Then what would he do with the money? When he realized that he had betrayed the Lord, when he realized that he had done it, Zechariah prophesied that it would be cast to the potter. Matthew 6, 27 and 6 and 7 says the chief priests, when they got the money back, Judas brought it back, threw it at their feet. They said, we, we can't put this back in the treasury. It's the price of blood. And they took counsel and they purchased the potter's field to bury strangers in it in fulfillment of the Word of God. As you're reading through that Old Testament, many times you find a scripture and you think, why is it here? Why is it couched in this setting? When you read scriptures in Isaiah 53, you know what they're there for, but when you find one like we read in Psalms, and it's right in the middle of a chapter and you're thinking, well, this sounds so much like what they did to Jesus. The Lord was just putting it there, prophesying about His coming. For the hungry, if they would look, they would find it. And for those of us today that are still hungry, if we'll look back, we will see that God keeps His promises. The Scripture says, Surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. That was in prophetic sense. They said the Messiah is coming. This is what they're going to do to him, and this is what he will take upon him. You ask the question, did it happen? Matthew 8, 16 through 17 said, When there was even was come, they brought him many that were possessed of devils. And he cast out spirit with his word and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah said, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Is he a promise keeper? By his stripes, we are healed. It's what Isaiah said. When the New Testament writer wrote it, he said, With his stripes, we were healed. 
So when we pray for healing, we're not asking him to go do something. We're embracing what he's already done to purchase our healing. Brother Mike testified this morning to our men, and I'm going to ask him to testify again, that this promise-keeping God, this promise-keeping God is still keeping the promise of healing today. I testified to our men this morning, and I always, I always encourage them to testify if God's done anything for them in the past week. So, I don't know uh, if you remember when Pastor Long was here. I mean, Missionary Long was here just a few weeks ago, and he told stories and not stories. It was healings that taken place in foreign countries, and we've come to accept that you know that happens overseas because those people don't have anything, and they, they but they trust God. So when he called everybody up to the front, and he gave some examples, too, of, of, of healings that's while he's on deputation of, of people being healed. So when he called everybody to the front, I, he didn't pray for me, but I, I, I told the Lord, I've had a shoulder for the past few years that's getting constantly worse and, and you know, old age, snap, crackle, and pop, you know how and, and so Jeannie told me the other day, he said, you know, you're going to have to get that shoulder repaired. You have to go get surgery. Well, I didn't want surgery. So I just come up and, and we prayed and I said, Lord, if you do it for those people overseas, I know that you can do it for me. And I claim my healing in the name of Jesus. Well, I went home, you know, no, nothing. Settled. I had been living on Moltrin, taking Moltrin to be able to sleep at night. After I'd strapped the load down on that truck, I'd have to take Motrin because my shoulder was hurting. And I said, Lord, I can't live on Motrin the rest of my life. You know, I just can't do it. And so a couple of weeks ago, I got to noticing, hey, this thing don't hurt anymore when the weather changed. And I, I could, it always hurt from when I'd raise my hand, but I'd raise it anyway. And I got to thinking, man, it, it, it don't hurt. I quit taking Motrin to sleep. I quit taking Motrin after I got loaded. And it's healed today. And I want to give God the praise for it because it, he gets all of the glory. There's no pain. There's nothing there. And I want to give God the praise. I have been walking with him for a number of years now, and I've come to believe everything is good with him. I'm just as gullible as I can be when I think he can do anything, nothing that he can't do. I was awakened the other night, and from experience, I knew it wasn't the Holy Ghost that woke me. But something got hold of me, and I was in bad shape. And uh, when I look at people like Brother Clifton and other people that's been through so much more than I have, I, I find it real minimum what I experience when it comes to illness or sickness or hurting or pain. But it was personal. It was a personal thing to me, and I was in in a bad condition, and I needed him. And I called on him. I says, now, Lord, you know, you and I are friends. We tight, you and I. And I got to have you tonight. And I let it go at that because I think that's as far as I needed to go. I, I, I believed and I trusted him. And Brother Terry called me uh, a couple of days later 
And it just so happened I was reading in the Word. At the time, I says, I, I, he says, hi, he, you must not, you, must, you weren't here, so I figured you were sick. I asked him, I said, how do you know I was sick? He said, well, because you weren't at church. But anyway, I said, I'm reading right here where it says, at the end of the second day, it's going to be better. And definitely by the third. I, I told him that while we were talking. And it was just like I had believed. And I want you to know that the God I serve is a dear friend of mine, and I trust in him every day. He's faithful to his word, Debbie. Faithful to his word. I love him today, and I want to live for him because I believe one day he's coming. And I believe that book we're talking about this morning, we're going to be judged by what's in that book. Don't be fooled about it. We will be judged by that book. Amen. Let's clap our hands in praise to the Lord. Amen. Let's stand together. Brother Paul, would you just reach all the way to the end of that lesson and get that last verse, Hebrews 10, 23. Not that one, but one before that, okay? Let's get the one before that one. A slide before that one. Okay, it's this is what the scripture says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hold on. It may seem like he's not listening, like Job. Job said, I I go forward, I can't find him. He's not answering me. I go to the right, to the left. I, I go back. I, I can't. But Job's conclusion was, he knows where I am. I don't know where he's at. He knows where I am. And when he has tried me, or when we're done with this deal, it will end. <laughs> that situation you're in will end. It won't last forever. He said, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Why? He said, because I have trusted in his word. We're standing on something solid and sure. So why could I preach to you like I did last weekend about a promise that's sure that when you go to him in prayer, he'll meet you there because everything he says in his word is true. It's true. You can count on it. I ask you, evermore, embrace His Word. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. He is a promise keeper. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He said, I am your shield I will strengthen you. I will help you. The scripture said when he puts forth his sheep, he goes before them. Moses said, Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. And the Lord said, I'll go with you. He said, I'll never leave you or nor forsake you. He said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. 
He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. An humble man sat with us today, and he opened his heart. He said, I went too far. I said things I should have never said. I thought, what a beautiful picture of repentance, humbleness. He said, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go back to those people that I just vented. He didn't use that word, but that's what he did. He just, it just seemed like he'd had enough of what was going on with what they were doing. You know, sometimes we, we seem, well, if I can just take this into my own hands and solve it. And instead, he found that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He promised that he would withhold no good thing from those that walk uprightly before him. And the Lord will not forsake his people for his name's sake. I want you to know there's promises that belong to you. Now, in the context of the church, he said, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I know everybody in the world wants that scripture. <laughs> Whether they live for God or not, they want that scripture, but that only belongs to those that the Lord said that walk with him, that seek his will and seek his. But all oh, the promises that the promise keeper gives to you and I, he's faithful. Is there a witness in the house? He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. You're so faithful, God. You're faithful to your word, to your promises. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you have given us prayer. Prayer that not just offered in a pulpit, Prayer that's not just offered in a prayer room. You've given us the ability to talk with you, God. Matter of fact, you said your children could come boldly to the throne of grace. We know in our world that people of high positions, there are so many hoops we have to jump through to get to them, but not so with you, Lord. You said that we could come directly, boldly. We didn't have to go through any other man, but we could come through the sacrifice of the cross, Jesus Christ, into your presence. Yeah, you're there in the schoolroom when a child bows its head and says, Help me, Lord. I've got to pass this test. You're there in the hospital room 
when we get a bad report and we link hands with someone near and or maybe we're all alone and we say, I've got to have you, Lord. You're there. You were there with me on a battlefield, Lord. When it seemed like any moment my life could be taken, but you were there. You answered prayer. Yeah, you've been there in the funeral chapel. And you're there the day with Brother Daryl and Burnell and her family. It's today they are brokenhearted and praying. Help me get through this, Lord. You promised you'd be the comforter. And there's a house full of people today that can attest to the fact that you're faithful to your word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for prayer and the confidence, Lord, that we can have in knowing that you will meet us there. You didn't come into this world to stay a baby in a manger and us to always adore you in that respect. You came to be the Savior. And that trip took you through the cross and left an empty tomb behind and a promise of your return to take us out of this old sinful world. I thank you. Would somebody like to join me in thanking him right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, today. Thank you for helping us, God. Thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you, Jesus. Would you just reach over and take somebody by the hand or lay your hand on their shoulder, whatever appropriate. Pray one for another right now in the name of Jesus. Let your spirit minister today the comfort that's needed, the strength that's needed, the help that's needed, the healing, Lord Jesus. In the name of 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. Greet one another, especially our guests. Let them know how happy we're to have them with us in the house of the Lord. Keep in mind the announcement schedule. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord.